God. You want to hit a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Garrett. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. At some point, it's a little haunted. It's a little haunt, haunted. Well, we're past the Ouija board, ep- board episode, so I don't even understand why. Yeah, but these. So, so what are you? Gonna, are you going to pass this off as the new theme this week? This is the new theme that you're working on. That was the new theme for the dollop. Yeah, I mean, you're here with Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. I mean, <laughs> it's just not. Look at you. You don't buy your new theme. Like, how I am I going to get on board? I'm enjoying it so much that I'm breaking into laughter. That's yeah. how much I'm enjoying it. I don't think it's from enjoyment. I think I'm Dave off. Anthony, and I'm here with Gary Reynolds. You already called me Gareth. We, and we regressed are fast. Going to talk to you about something. The date was October second, nineteen fourteen. So we're starting. Marvel Whiteside Parsons was born in Los Angeles. Uh, that name needs to be framed on my wall. He was the second child of Marvel and Ruth Parsons. So a guy named Marvel named his son Marvel. When you get it right, why change it? Well, I'm guessing that he didn't get it right because I'm guessing all of the abuse he took for having the name Marvel as a child. Who names their kid Marvel and then thinks that anything's going to work out? A great person. <laughs> I mean, imagine. It's it's probably, that's how you compensate a little bit for being a shitty dad. You're like, this is He-Man. My son, He-Man. Like an I will be leaving. <clears throat> Would you like to meet Thor? <laughs> this is my boy, Thor. Have you met the Incredible Hulk? He's can I, five. Can I tell you something? Huh. I met Thor. Thor was playing soccer with five-year-olds in La Crescenta, where I live. And his this kid's name was Thor, and he was blonde, and he was about two feet taller than the other kids. And I said... Is he the same age? And she goes, yeah. And I said, what's his name? And she said, Thor. And I said, you're fucking kidding yeah, me. That's you're bullshit. fucking... Look you, me in the eyes, you, lady. You're, what you are is you're in like the first 10 minutes of the first Thor movie. <laughs> like that's where you basically are living at that point. You're like a guy who's like, hey, this kid shouldn't play. And someone's like, it'll be fine. It'll be good. 15 years later, this yeah. man can make a hammer fly into his yeah, hand. Yeah, flying hammer. All right, so Marvel Whiteside Parsons was the second child of Marvel and Ruth Parsons. The first child died at birth. Happened last week also. <laughs> Soon after Marvel's birth, the senior Marvel had an affair with another woman, and Ruth divorced her new husband. That's quick. That's fast. In and out of that marriage. I marvel at it. Bitter from the affair, Ruth began calling the boy John rather than Marvel. <laughs> Some would call it an upgrade. I'm not okay with it. <laughs> I know, but it's just a weird thing to do. Yeah. You're John <laughs> she, now. Why? She goes, mo- I the, hate your father. The most common name. Jesus. But she never never legally changed his name. So perfect. As the boy grew, close friends and family would come to call him Jack, which is how he is <laughs> this, often remembered today. Yeah, this, three this names. This kid is like... Three names. What am I? Malcolm Jamal Warner? Who am <laughs> I? have three? I, my name is John Marvel Jack. Hey, Marvel. I mean, John. I mean, Jack. I'm all of them. Um... Ruth, young Jack, and her parents, who moved from Chicago to look after her and Jack, stayed in, uh, they lived in Pasadena. If we could refer to him as Peter from now on, that would make me feel better. (laughs) 
Peter and Frank, <laughs> uh, they li- they they moved onto a street known in Pasadena as Millionaire's Mile. So wow. Okay. So, so their grandparents are loaded. Yeah. They're fucking stacked. Imagine not being loaded on that street. Jack's father, Marvel Parsons, dropped completely out of sight after 1915. He may have joined the army. He may have died in 1922. Both are unconfirmed. Well, that's closure for you. Oh, although one is much worse than the other. Yes, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. So um, two things might have happened. <laughs> Ruth Parsons. Hey, Marvel Jack John, here's the two options for your dad's death. We love to give choice. Sit down, Marvel Jack John. Uh, <laughs> your father might be dead or he might be in the army. All right. And there you go. Go play ball. <laughs> Get in the car, on the bike, or in the plane. <laughs> Have fun. Uh, Ruth Parsons is listed as a widow in the 1923 Pasadena City Directory. Okay. Back in the awesome days when they listed whether or not you were a widow. Ah, uh, man. So, so, the, so the local con man coming into town could know which house to go to to swindle. Take that, Tinder. Around this time, when Jack was in the eighth grade, he made a lifelong friend when he was being bullied. Edward Foreman intervened on Jack's behalf, and the two were inseparable after that. Okay. So he made a friend. He made a friend. Parsons and Foreman soon learned they shared other interests. I'm worried about this friend already. No, this could be For good. For a second, I was happy he had a friend already a little worried. They share interests. Nah. Science fiction? <laughs> That's good. Oh, my, my bite us in the ass. And rocketry. Oh. <laughs> if you think you have the, this goes to the craziest places of, that we've ever been. <laughs> All right. The rocket instructions most likely came from one of the many build-your-own-kits advertised in the pages of science fiction magazines. They loved to blow off fireworks in Parsons' backyard. In 1928, they began to experiment with small, solid-fuel rockets. People who knew Jack at the time said his yard was full of holes and burn spots. Red flag. <laughs> totally normal. No. <laughs> Jack had also begun to investigate occultism and independently performed a ritual intended to invoke the devil into his bedroom. Wait. So let's take a time out. Okay. Um, Just a kid being a kid. Well... Mm, when you were 12, did you not ever summon the devil in I never... I never summoned him. <laughs> I well, felt his presence. Okay, but as a kid, you do things that are foolish. Fair, but I like, don't. I feel like summoning summoning the devil. I'll give you an example. Like when I was a kid, I went down to there's a school that had been shut down, and I went down and threw rocks at the windows and broke a couple of windows. Right. That's a kid being a kid. Yeah. So yeah. same thing. Different things. Summoning the devil. Let's proceed, but I'll say <laughs> throwing rocks at a building as opposed to getting the Dark Lord in your room. There's there's a little bit of a moat. He worried that the invocation was successful and was so <laughs> frightened that he ceased all such activities. Well, the, yeah. Okay. I, I didn't know it would work. Yeah. Did you feel that after you threw those rocks? Probably not. Of his childhood. Of his childhood, <laughs> he wrote. He's, he does this in the third person. So, oh, cool! So Nor- I can't, a normal. That's a what normal. happens when you. Well, when you have three names, you write in the third person. There, <laughs> John. This is Jack writing you. <laughs> Sincerely, Marvel. <laughs> Your isolation as a child developed the necessary background of literature and scholarship. 
Okay, so he was alone, so he got into school and, and literature. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate experiences with other children developed the requisite contempt for the crowd and the group mores. Okay. okay. I mean, uh, I don't even know what we're saying, but you I'm You will note that these factors developed the needful hatred for Christianity at an extremely early age. Mm. Okay. Mm-mm-mm. So that's normal. Uh, it's not. After let's re- get that devil back in here. After receiving poor high school results, Parsons' mother sent him away to study at a private boarding school in San Diego, the Brown Military Academy for Boys. But he was expelled for blowing up the toilets. <laughs> I'm assuming that's not diarrhea related. God, I wish it was. <laughs> after Jack spent the summer of 1929 on a tour of Europe before returning to Pasadena. Uh, with the onset of the Great Depression, their fortune began to dwindle, and in July 1931, Jack's grandfather, Walter, died. Jack began studying at the privately run... Turn the page. Yeah. University <laughs> School. Nice of- wow. A liberal arts institution. Okay. High school. He flourished at the school, become editor of the school's newspaper, and winning an award for literary excellence, while teachers that had trained at a nearby... California Institute of Technology honed his attentions on the study of chemistry through practical demonstrations. Okay, I will say this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my uh, limited experience, mm-hmm. chemistry, it, when that's said on a dollar podcast, mm-hmm. that's not a good thing for mm-hmm. the person to take interest in. I disagree. I think you will, at the end of this, tell me that you do agree. <laughs> Because the family was low on money, Jack took a holiday job at the Hercules Powder Company, where he got to handle a wide range of explosives. In 1918, the Hercules Powder Company was among the largest in the world with 3,000 workers and nine TNT lines producing 7 million pounds per month, or one-third of all the TNT used by the United States in the Great War. A third of the TNT at the height of TNT. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Jeez. Hey, come on. You can tell me he was in pocketing some and bringing it home. Oh, my. Are you kidding TNT me? TNT in the pocket. He must, Every single day, they must have been like, man, you're getting heavy. And then every morning, they'd be like, you look fantastic. Did you lose eight pounds last night? Yeah. In 1933, Jack graduated from the university school. Parsons and Foreman attended Pasadena Junior College together. Both spent two years at the expense of private college, but neither graduated. Job dra- job. Jack dropped out because he could not afford the school. Sad. Sad Sad and uh, honestly a little worrisome. The two kept on with their love of rockets. (laughs) I mean, Mm. come on. Look, (laughs) I mean, seriously, you're going to just move on? The two continued their love of rockets? Yes. A couple of gentlemen who were enjoying their love of rockets together. Uh, Listen, if this doesn't take place in... uh, No. No. In the spring of 1935, Jack, now 20 years old, married Helen Northrup. Whom he met at a church dance. He How did was, she feel about hearing that he wanted to go play rockets with his best friend? Or that he hated Christianity. <laughs> yeah, or the exactly. He wrote, The early marriage to Helen served to break your family ties and affect a transference to her away from a dangerous attachment to your mother. Healthy. Well, it's healthy on a lot of levels. He's saying that he was too attached to his mother. And then secondly, he's talking to himself in the third person. 
That autumn, after seeing an article in the Pasadena Evening Post about a lecture given at the California Institute of Technology, Parsons and Ed Foreman went to campus to talk to the speaker. The topic was the rocket experiments of Austrian Eugene Sanger. And it concluded with speculation on the possibility of stratospheric passenger carriers. In other words... <laughs> whoa! Spaceships. Whoa! 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 What? Wait! Now wait a minute. Listen, we already took a pinto to the skies. Yes. <laughs> you are so. Are we fucking space bound? You have. You don't try to guess it. You have no idea where this one's going. You cannot possibly guess. I'll allow it. <sighs> Sanger recommended Parsons and Foreman go speak to Frank J. Molina. Daniel Guggenheim, Guggenheim had set up a $2.5 million fund to start seven aeronautical schools in seven universities, including Caltech. A sum of 300000 was earmarked for Caltech for the construction of a laboratory and the establishment of a graduate school in aeronautics. It became known as Galcit. G-A-L-C-I-T. Galcit? Catchy. Galcit. One of the Galcit pupils was a graduate student named Frank Molina, who was working toward his Ph.D., the informally trained Parsons and Foreman were eager to try whatever happened to spring to mind, and contrasted with the approach. But not of, good. And contrasted with the approach of Molina, who insisted on the need for scientific discipline, as informed by von Karman, who was Molina's doctoral advisor at the Caltech lab. <laughs> Sounds like a healthy group. So one guy was all about the cautious scientific approach and the other two guys you mean the square the other two guys were like yeah let's pack it in a squirrel and light it we got to get the square out of here (laughs) uh the three would begin experimenting with rockets together (laughs) i mean i what well pre-rockets yeah yeah and uh, look i'm not i'm not gonna guess what's going on but i will say this is not good i'm reading you the beginning of rockets (laughs) Jack Parsons was the chemist, Foreman was the engineer, and Molina the mathematician. They put together a proposal for funding from Galset and started test firing their rocket motor. Their experiments finally worked. These were the first solid fuel rockets like used in space shuttle rocket boosters today. <laughs> a mean, solid I, look, I just can't imagine having access to things that's <laughs> that barely Went to space before you knew that things would go to space. Apparently, you could also just go get it wherever. Like, these yeah, are no, two guys yeah. who are high school graduates <laughs> who are now working God, we need in a to laboratory. Bring back the allure of graduating high school. <laughs> get that back, and I'll be president. It's just two, high, two guys who just graduated high school walk up to a guy getting his PhD and go, Hey, I'm going to put rockets in the sky. <laughs> Literally, just rockets. <laughs> Yen? Yen on rockets? A solid fuel rocket has its fuel and oxidant mixed together as uh, fine powders and then pressed into a solid cake. Once it has been lit, it will carry on burning until it's used up. This was the, the beginning of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. <laughs> How do you feel right now? Uh, nervous. JPL. Very nervous. You know what JPL is, right? Yeah, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Yeah, it's right up the street. <laughs> it's well, a very famous laboratory. Yeah, it's huge. I go there all the time. Late. Uh, honestly, if you can't get a hold of me, that's where you are. I'm there. Yeah. Late 1938, reporters were coming to Galset. I hope it's Galset. It could be Galkit. 
the Galkit test site every day, asking for the Rocketeers' predictions about when the moon landing would be. So now reporters are like, when are you guys going to the moon, kid? She, oh, well, the yeah. fresh, I mean. They're like being fucked with by reporters. Yeah. Hey, when's the, uh, when's the big moon party? So, uh, feels like moon time. <laughs> How close are we? <laughs> hey, not to be an asshole, but the moon would be fun. I don't want this to get weird. Hey, let's get up there, get some of the space cheese, come back down. <laughs> we know what we're doing. The first substantial influx of money came from the United States Army Air Corps. Of course. The, the U.S. had not yet entered World War II, but the military wanted small rockets that could lift heavy aircraft off the ground. At this time, Jack Parsons was living with Helen, working on the Halifax Gunpowder, working at the Halifax Gunpowder Company, and working on the rocket experiment. So the rocket experiments are just a hobby. Yeah, no, it's nice that he's constantly surrounded by Explosive. flammable explosives. Yes. His, that must made, make like, her feel great. He constructed a home laboratory <laughs> on the front porch of their house. Oh, that's, that's the right place for this laboratory. Put it where you put your hanging chair and hammock. <laughs> right out there where the neighbors can see the demolition when they drive by. This allowed him to work on his chemicals and explosives at any time of the day. Okay, imagine living next door to this asshole. Imagine being the mailman. <laughs> imagine <laughs> being the wife. I mean... <laughs> uh, Parsons uh, spent most of his wages, including the Gausset Rocket Research Group, uh, funding on the rocket Gausset Research. So he was giving all his money to this rocket research. So every dime he makes, except for, you know basic needs yeah. for extra money he manufactured nitroglycerin in can this home. guy not just go like fucking wash a car or something <laughs> you know I'm gonna make a little side money by working in the nitroglycerin business he's got skills yeah I mean he's got skills go paint a fucking wall for extra money, he manufactured nitroglycerin <laughs> in their home, and at one point, he pawned Helen's engagement ring and w <laughs> and would often ask her family for loans. Husband of the year. Husband <laughs> of the year. What did you do with my ring? I sold it for rocket fuel. Honey, I'm working on nitroglycerin rocket fuel. I'm Take some of this dynamite and shut up. I'm Wiley Coyote. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hey, you married a cartoon. Uh, so the three became well-known on campus, earning the moniker of Suicide Squad for the dangerous nature of their experiments and attracting the attention of the local press. Jack gained further media publicity when he appeared as an expert explosive witness in the trial of Earl Kinnett, the head of the police intelligence in Los Angeles, who was accused of setting a bomb to kill private investigator Harry Raymond. When Kinnett was convicted largely on Jack's testimony, his identity as an expert scientist in the public eye was established despite his lack of a university education. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, f I feel it. <laughs> I feel it right now, David. So he's just a guy blowing shit up and I, then someone's I, like, can you come down to the trial? He's, he's just, yeah. He just got George W. Bushed. Oh, my God, he did. Yeah. He just right he right place right time to. Yep. In January 1939, Jack and Helen attended a Gnostic mass of the Church of Thelema with friend John Baxter, a gay man who was fond of Jack, and his sister Frances, a lesbian who was fond of Helen. 
<laughs> I mean, How you doing? What, what webs are we tangling at the moment? <laughs> what? What? Now, now we're. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. It's about to get weird. <laughs> we're gonna talented Mr. Ripley this shit. The mass was written by Alistair Crowley. <laughs> and there, Jack and Helen met Wilfred Smith, the high priest. Who wanted to fuck all of them? <laughs> Who was desperate to fuck everyone in his church? Crowley was born in England in 1875, was a novelist, poet, mountaineer, painter, philosopher, who was allowed to only read the Bible growing up. He faked his own death to create interest in one of his painting exhi- exhibitions. Mystical societies were very popular in late 1800s Britain. Crowley joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which believed that humans were only partway up the ladder of physical evolution, and that if properly disciplined, the human will was capable of anything it wished, most notably contracting intelligences, intelligences outside the physical world. Okay. Crowley left after not advancing rapidly enough, so he, he didn't. He, he was quit. Like, I can't. He's like, I'm, listen, I'll be a human. I'm not going to. The whole, I, I can't do the intelligence outside the physical <laughs> world thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Crowley and his wife, Rose Kelly, who he called his Scarlet Woman, married in 1903 and went to Cairo, Egypt. His where, Scarlet Woman? Yeah. Is that a play on Scarlet Letter? I think so. That must be a great, sweet... That's a, a lovely term for your significant other. Well, he's a monster. Come here, whore. Uh, and they went to Cairo, Egypt, where after hash-induced trances, he wrote The Book of Law. I've in, done that. In, 19, <laughs> in 1912, Crowley would seize control of the Ordo Templi Orientis, or OTO, a small quasi-Masonic group. He would rewrite its rituals, incorporate the Book of Law and add the Gnostic Mass as its ceremonial centerpiece. One OTO ritual preserved was the use of sex as an intrinsic component of the working of magic. They believe sexual ecstasy lifted one to a different plane of consciousness. There were ten degrees of attainment, and the sex magic secrets would be revealed at level nine. You can, Now, you cannot... Are you in? I mean, I'm in. Do you want level nine? Listen, I mean, if there's – from all the crazy shit I've heard, if somebody was just like, uh-huh. look, if you fuck hard enough, you'll touch God's beard. I'd be like, yeah, let's fucking – I'm ready to try this. All right. Let's get that – I yep. touch that beard. Worst case scenario, I don't touch the beard. That's okay. That's okay with me. I just got fucked a lot, but I didn't touch the beard. Anyway, I'm going to probably go take a nap, get a Gatorade. I just fucked a lot. A lot. Wilford Smith, the high priest, started selling Parsons Parsons Crowley's books. He started selling Jack Crowley's books. Helen began reading them, and the two began getting more involved in what was called the Agape Lodge, where the Church of Thelema rituals were held in Los Angeles. I know Agape. I don't think it's the same Agape. Okay. Add up. Jack wrote of himself... Marvel John Jack. Jack's going to write to himself again. A third person. Your father separated from your mother in order that you might grow up with a hatred of authority and a spirit of revolution necessary to my work. Then he went, he went. Yeah, he goes first person. (laughs) That's normal and fine. The Oedipus complex was needed. Whoa. (laughs) We're just throwing that around. The Oedipus complex was needed to formulate the love of witchcraft. 
witchcraft. No. <laughs> which would lead you into magic. With the influence of your grandfather active to prevent too complete an identification with your mother. Oh, I, okay. I mean, so, yeah. so, I mean, what? Let me ask you this: What isn't happening? He's right admitting now? that he wants to fuck his mom. Okay, there uh, that his, but his grandfather was able to help out and. Good old Gramps. Get in there. Good old Gramps. <clears throat> Molina approached the National Academy of Sciences Committee on Army Air Corps Research to request funding for research into what they referred to as jet propulsion, a term chosen to avoid the stigma attached to rocketry. Because everyone thought rocketry was stupid. <laughs> they thought it was like... It's Obamacare. From, well, they thought rocketry was like from... Stupid movies like Flash Gordon. That's what they thought. So, I'm sorry. First of all, stupid movies, Flash Gordon. Okay, I apologize. You I know apologize. the song, right? I know the song. How yeah. does it go? Flash. Hey. That's the new theme. He's a mini man, man, man. Perfect. He is a mini man, man, man. The military gave the rocket research group 1,000 to put together a proposal on the feasibility of jet assisted takeoff by June 1939. They became the first U.S. government-sanctioned rocket research group. This is two guys in high school who, who from high school. Yeah, two another, high school graduates. Jack demonstrated the potential use of solid fuels as being significantly more effective than liquid types, primarily preferred by other researchers. In light of this prog- – Other well-trained researchers. <laughs> In light of this progress, Caltech and Galset Group received an additional 10,000 rocketry research grant. It's I happening. see that all going the right way. In June 1940, they received 22,000 in funding, although a quarter of it went on repairing damage to the Caltech buildings caused by their experiments. Well, that's not a red flag. Now known as Galset Project Number 1, they continue to be ostracized by other Caltech students who grew increasingly irritated by their accidents and noise pollution. I mean, it's so annoying that these other kids just wanted to live. It's like, <laughs> where are your priorities? Uh, they were made to re- relocate their experiments back to Arroyo Seco at a site with unventilated, corrugated iron sheds that served as both research facilities and administrative offices. It was here that the Jet Propulsion Laboratory would be founded. So it's still right there. Good. They should have just gone to a porch. There's so many. It, oh, God. I mean, there's it just so, so many options. so much to just more open. Open it up on a porch. There's nothing better than a porch. Not a problem. Parson and Froman's rocket experiments were the cover story of the August 1940 edition of Popular Mechanics, in which the pair discussed the prospect of rockets being able to ascend above Earth's atmosphere and orbit around it for research purposes, as well as reaching the moon. Oh, boy. Well, it's all possible. It is. Uh, oh, boy. The, I, mm-hmm. February 1941. <laughs> Jack and Helen were initiated into the Agape Lodge. Sometime around then, Helen's 16-year-old, 16-year-old sister, Betty, moved in with them. Parsons- worried, worried about that. <laughs> worried about that right off the bat. Parsons would start having Thelema meetings at his house, and he rose through the ranks quickly. He told <laughs> shows you it's a great organization. He's, he's number one with a bullet. Uh, he told Wilfred Smith, I was an only and lonely child, and it is a fine thing to inherit such a large and splendid family. I never knew a father, and it is nice to have one now. 
You see why you got to hug your kids? Writing to Crowley often, Jack would address him as most beloved father and sign it, thy son. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah, oh, Dave, that's, a, Dave, that's really sweet and fine. He's got a daddy. That's fine. He's got a daddy. I'm going to write you letters like that and see how you feel. I will. I will like it. I don't think that you will. Thy son. <laughs> I'm out, by the way. I'm not doing it, it anymore. Thy son. In December 1941, the group, now with other scientists on board, agreed to produce and sell 60 jet-assisted takeoff engines to the United States Army Corps. To do so, they formed the Aerojet Engineering Corporation in March 1942. So they're off and running. Okay. Now they have a corporation. Good for them. On June 26, 1942, Jack and Helen leased a mansion back on Millionaire's Mile, where the Agape Lodge was relocated. Jack's bedroom doubling as the temple. (laughs) You can do both. (laughs) Easily. I've often thought about just putting a piece of tape down the middle of my room, half templing, half, you know, sleeping. It's fine. That's a fine thing to do. How big does the temple need to be? The side with my shorts is the bedroom. (laughs) Okay. Temple gets the first two drawers. Yeah. The side with the goat's head's the temple. <laughs> wait, which wait? Which side's the temple? The goat head. The goat head's the temple. The one with the, my shorts on the floor. That's the. That's I the think you might have it backwards. No, I'm pretty sure. No, no, right. no. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Oh no, you might be right. I think I'm right. I think the side with my shorts on the floor. That's is the, the temple. temple. Yeah. Uh, right. Give me the goat head. I'm gonna go to bed. <laughs> they called it the parsonage. Let's just leave that. Yeah. Jack shocked his conservative neighbors when he started renting out rooms to less than desirable tenants. The ad placed in the local paper reportedly read, Anyone. Apartments for rent must not believe in God. (laughs) (laughs) I have two cats. Do you believe in God? No. Welcome aboard. I'm a murderer. Welcome aboard if you don't believe in God. The frequent visitors... Noisy parties and questionable goings-on drew attention. One visitor wrote that two women in diaphanous gowns would dance around a pot of fire surrounded by coffins topped with candles. And all I could think of at the time was that if those robes caught on fire, the whole house would go up like a tinderbox. What? That's all you could think about as opposed to the coffins? The coffins. He's looking at women dancing around a fire and coffins and he's thinking, oh. Hazard. <laughs> Fire hazard. I think they're eating bones. Yeah, but those ropes could just go right up. They better have a fire extinguisher over there. You know what I'm saying? Tell you what, they need uh, some sand for that rope. This is this that is, rope gets going, it won't stop. This is a violation, Parsons. <laughs> One letter from Crowley praised and encouraged Jack for the fine work he was doing in America, and also casually asked him for his latest donation and intimated that more would be shortly needed. Jack was one of Crowley's main sources of money in America. Jesus. A longtime resident of the Parsonage wrote in 1962 of Jack. So we'll jump forward, but... Well, I'm excited. set up. Yeah, we're almost at the moon. Jack was the antithesis of the common Im- image of the black magician. In fact, he bore little resemblance to his revered master, Alistair Crowley, either in looks or in his personal conduct. He was a good-looking man in his early or mid-30s, urbane and sophisticated, and possessed a fine sense of humor. I always found Jack's insistence that he believed in and practiced magic hard to reconcile with his educational and cultural background. 
At first, I thought it was all fun and games, a kick he was on for its shock value to respectable friends. But after seeing his correspondence with Crowley and the evidence of frequent remittances to Crowley, I had to give him the benefit of the doubt. So he <laughs> seemed like a totally normal dude, except he was indeed practicing black magic. The, totally normal. That's fine. <laughs> Not a problem there. In Pasadena, Parsons was the subject of public attention, and there were rumors that he was the leader of a black magic cult. <laughs> the Hot rumors, gossip. The rumors were denied by his fellow t- scientists, many of whom were regulars at the house. If not, oh, members, you got to believe them. <laughs> Listen to what they say. That's fine. As early as 1941, Parsons was investigated, but no arrests were made. He was not being investigated for his occult activities, but rather explosives being stored at the house. <laughs> Pick your poison with those crimes. I mean, <laughs> hey, you are uh, you cutting up goats and and rubbing them all over things legally, or, or are you cold and explosive? There are rockets here that I shouldn't have, but those goats are all paid for. Those goats are fine. Then in 1942, local police came to the mansion to investigate an alleged backyard ceremony where a pregnant woman had reportedly jumped nude through a fire nine times. I love that it's nine times. Yeah, nine. One, two, three, six more, and I'm calling the police. Six more, Anne. Uh, we're here to we're here to investigate a crime about a woman jumping. Well, on the fire. what we Are said we, was seven's legal. Seven's legal. Eight's a gray area. Nine is completely fucked up. Okay, so she she went nine. Okay, maybe ten. The I monster. Have to, I have to arrest someone. Get her. The police made it. She's clear. the one who's smoking and a little, a little bit charred in the back. The police made it clear that they thought the claim absurd. So the police were like, "Yeah, I'm not buying this, but we're just here to investigate. And we're going to wrap it up because well, you're like Jack the cop- Parsons." <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, the cops sound like the same. They were only investigating it because it was their duty. Parsons easily assured them of his community standing. He was an important rocket scientist. I mean, can, but the, that's what I love. Like. <laughs> okay, does this pan out? Do they leave? A 16-year-old boy reported Parsons to the police, claiming that the three of Parsons' followers had forcibly sodomized him during a black mass at the house. Well, those are the rockets that we shouldn't be launching. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Again, the police investigated, but found Parsons' cult to be little more than an organization dedicated to religious what the and fuck? Philos- philosophical speculation... With the respectable members such as a Pasadena bank president, doctors, lawyers, and Hollywood actors. The actor John Carradine, for example, read one of Crowley's poems at the inauguration of Agape Lodge Number no. 2 in 1935. Uh, 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 well, so, uh, no. It's like a, no. it's like one of those shitty movies that you see where you don't believe it because the people come in to investigate and they go, Excuse me, this is an attorney here. Yeah. And he's a, why would the judge be here yeah. if any of this was going on? That's, such, that's so ama- amazing yes. to be like... Well, he's a rocket scientist, and this is just a cult with actors. No wrong here. Move along. (sighs) Oh, God. Things are good. Parsons had plenty of money for his occult activities by the summer of 1943. Good news. Aerojet and their rocket company was doing $650,000 in business. What the fuck? Helen Parsons started to have an affair with Wilfred Smith and bore him a son in 1943. Also in 1943, Jack divorced Helen after having an affair with her sister, Betty. Like Helen before her, Betty acted as Parsons' priestess at the Gnostic Mass, which Parsons was holding every single day. 
Betty was also Parsons' partner in the performance of sex, sex magic. <laughs> the magic of inducing altered states through prolonged sexual ecstasy. <laughs> I think Sting does that. Yeah, but I don't even know where to start. So everybody, so okay, everybody normal. practices magic. Yeah, well, not only sex magic, but his last. If you get priestess, it just <laughs> yeah, she's fucking the other guy. Yeah, and then pregnant, and then he's like, "Well, I'm making your sister." Yeah, but what do you think happens, Jerry? In- Jerry? <laughs> Jerry? And what do you think happens in cults? It doesn't. It doesn't. I'd all- hope there'd be a little more decorum. <laughs> A touch more would be nice. Uh, Parsons, 11 years uh, Betty's senior, urged the 18-year-old Betty to leave the University of Southern California. So he's giving good advice. Well, he's just thinking about her future long term. Jack later said implied incest in this relationship was very appealing. So because it's his wife's, he's like, oh, it's like I'm fucking my. Yeah. And that's cool. And that's really sweet. That's awesome. Hey, Rockets. Hey. (laughs) Hey, Rockets. I'm Jack, fucking rockets. Jack and Betty lived a, as a couple, although they never did marry. Parsons encouraged Betty to take other lovers, as he did, but he because he perceived himself above the petty jealousness fe- felt by normal men. <laughs> well, clearly his parents were better to him than mine were. <laughs> Wilford Smith. I mean, that is such a red flag. Fuck whoever. I'm going to, too. I mean, it's just like, who? You know what I mean? Do what? No, literally, fuck anyone because I'm just gonna fuck. Isn't that dating? It, it is, but there is something about when you're like, okay, we're together. Fuck whoever. Like, just be single then. <laughs> but I clearly, there's bigger fish to yeah, fry. You're so worried about the low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This- Wilford Smith, Helen, Jack, and Betty would continue to all live together at the parsonage for the time being. All right, just keep going. <laughs> Must have been some great breakfast. Just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Good bagels. We've basically all been inside each other. Oh, God. <laughs> the elements or spirits Jack was invoking evidently disturbed the other <laughs> parsonage residents. <laughs> Is anything going right? <laughs> One still living and active man- member of the OTO recorded this. Uh, Two persons always had to do a lot of banishing in the house. They were sensitive and knew that something alien was there. When I had been there during the summer of 1944, I also knew there were troublesome spirits about, especially on the third floor. It got that I couldn't stand being up there, and a friend of mine couldn't even climb the stairs that far as the hair on the back of her neck began to prickle, and she got thoroughly frightened. So, black magic, ghosts. There's spirits Third, third floor is the third Beetlejuice attic. Yeah, the Beetlejuice attic. Okay. As the war ended, the founders of Aerojet started looking for a way to make the firm viable because its future was suddenly very uncertain since the company was dependent on war. The firm was able to convince General Tire to invest in it, but the other Caltech Lincoln employees, including Molina, would only agree to the sale on the condition that Parsons and Foreman were removed. <laughs> a wise call. Aerojet offered them 50000 apiece for their stock. They took it. Parsons and Foreman were bragging about how they had managed to get out of the company while they were still ahead. <laughs> the war was over and the rockets were finished. The field had no future. <laughs> Apple? <laughs> a computer called Apple? 
I'm out. Goodbye. <laughs> when the apples are fruit. What are you going to do with a rocket without the war? Let me tell you something. What are you going to do? I mean, Jesus Christ, get your shit together. I know I love science fiction, but uh, in this case, I do not l- 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 listen to any of the science fiction I I'll, read. I'll tell you what we should work in is gin. That's got an upside. <laughs> uh, Parsons and Foreman were going to invest in a chain of laundromats. Well, it, it is true that which one has had the bigger boom since then? That, oh, laundromats, for sure. Rockets are places to put your clothes to clean them. Laundromats. Probably laundromats. <laughs> Parsons and Foreman then formed Adastra Research, a small explosives company. Oh, fuck. That was investigated for espionage <laughs> when the two were caught with large quantities of X-nitrate, a powerful explosive. <laughs> So. It was it was determined that the compound was acquired for experimental reasons, and the charges were dropped. <laughs> what what the fuck does experimental reasons even mean? Well, you might put something up. Experimental <laughs> reasons is like not good reasons. <laughs> oh, it's just experimental. Go on, have your nitrate. I didn't realize you guys were experimenting with it. Jack then went to work for the Vulcan Powder Company in Pasadena, where he would remain for the next two years. After Foreman and Jack were ousted, the company was renamed the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So there you go. Once they were out, so he basically founded the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Good. Good founder. In late August of 1945, Lou Goldstone, a science fiction illustrator living at the Parsonage, brought L. Ron Hubbard... What just happened here, sir? Brought L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, over uh, uh, to meet uh, Okay. What? Can we just savor the flavor for a second? L. Ron Hubbard just entered the weirdest party I've ever heard of? He hasn't invented Scientology yet. <laughs> no. So right now he's just a guy. <laughs> and he still was allowed to be called L. Ron? <laughs> well, he was a writer. Yeah, oh, I know he's a writer. Exactly. He was a writer. <laughs> Jack liked Hubbard immediately. <laughs> Red flag! <laughs> Hubbard had just come from the Naval Hospital in San Francisco and complained of various ailments, including <laughs> rheumatism, arthritis, hemorrhoids, conjunctivitis, and eggs in his side, shoulder, stomach, and knee. <laughs> After several hospitals... He sounds like a pill side effect. Everything hurts! <laughs> Diarrhea, constant nausea. After several hospital vis- visits, Hubbard was given a medical discharge from the Navy and began receiving financial benefits when he told them he could no longer practice his livelihood of being a writer. He was well enough known as a Pulp Fiction writer at this time. In January 4th, 1946, Parsons wrote to Crowley, Most beloved father, Ugh. about three months ago I met Captain L. Ron Hubbard, a writer and explorer of whom I had known for some time. He is a gentleman. He has red hair, green eyes, and is honest and intelligent, and we have become great friends. He moved in with me about two months ago, <laughs> and although Betty and I are still friendly, she has transferred her sexual affections to him. It's not money from checking to savings. She trans... <laughs> so, that's fine. Although Ron has no formal training in magic, he has an extraordinary... 
Every, a lot of people have formal training in magic. Which is just fucking. Yeah, that's an oxymoron. He has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. From some of his experiences, I deduce he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He describes his angel as a beautiful winged woman with red hair who he calls Empress, and who has guided him through his life and saved him many times. Just cool. A dude, just a dude writing just the a letter guy to a dude. following his angel Empress, yep. who's banging your ex. Priestess. By December, Jack started to perform rituals to obtain an elemental mate. He believed he could bring forth an actual goddess on Earth, a female messiah named Babylon. <laughs> writer writer, uh, writer Alva Rogers describes. As events progressed, Jack found it increasingly difficult to keep his mind on anything else. The atmosphere around the house became supercharged with tension. Jack began to show more and more strain, and the effort to disguise his metamorphosis from an emotionless Crowley-like Superman to a jealousy-ridden human being became hopeless. What we saw I'll never forget, although I find it hard to describe in any detail. The room was decorated in a manner typical to an occultist's lair with all the symbols, essential to the proper practice of black magic. It was dimly lit and smoky from the incense. Jack was draped in a black robe and stood with his back to us, his arms outstretched in the center of the pentagram <laughs> before <laughs> name drop <laughs> before some sort of altar on which several indistinguishable items stood. His voice rose and fell in a rhythmic chant of gibberish. Gibberish is not rhythmic. <laughs> All right, everybody, snap your fingers to this beat. Rhythmic. <laughs> it was delivered with such passion and intensity that its meaning was frighteningly obvious. <laughs> Run! After this brief and uninvited glimpse into the blackest and most secret center of a tortured man's soul, we quietly withdrew and returned to our room, where we spent the balance of the night discussing, discussing in whispers what we had just witnessed. <laughs> oh, my God. He's fucking crazy. Finally. He's fucking... I thought this was all, like, bullshit. Finally a straight man. He's fucking crazy. So that was fucked, <laughs> right? Super fucked. Like... No, no. <laughs> I think we should move. <laughs> and Jazz was born. Part of the magic ritual included invocation of wand with material basis on the talisman. The material basis of which is the marrow of the wand, the wand representing the penis of the magician. While, Fair. While the marrow is the semen. Great. <laughs> During the rite... The magician is to invoke the spirit and, while concentrating upon it, masturbate over the talisman. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> I snorted. Jack was fertilizing a little parchment square representing <laughs> the air tablet, which is the space where magic symbols are drawn in the air. Hi, Dave. Like with a dagger. Dave, Dave, Dave. I'm going to need you to pump the brakes a little here, my man. I, I, so can I just say it took me? Who hasn't so, masturbated over a talisman? <laughs> Wait, it took me so long to actually read this story because the well, first time you, the first time someone sent it to me, I was like, "There's no way any of this is true." Will you read but, what you just read again? <clears throat> part 
part of the magic ritual included invocation of wand with material basis on the talisman. It's great hearing that now, now that I know what you're about to say. The material basis of which is the marrow of the wand. The wand representing the penis of the magician, while the marrow is the semen. During the rite, the magician is to invoke the spirit, and while concentrating upon it, masturbate over the talisman. He was fertilizing a little parchment square representing the air tablet, which is the the space where magic symbols are drawn in the air, like with a dagger. It all makes sense. He's shooting his load into fake... Into fake symbol areas. (laughs) Into air symbols to make... A woman! I'll bet you that the talisman's like, I feel like there's not a symbol area. Because <laughs> it's all over me. I just picture two spirits up in the corner going, oh, this is so they not really how you do did it. not understand what we were trying to say. Am I right? They, they did not get our message. It was just so simple. I just said to- We were just preaching empathy, and now he's masturbating <laughs> in a fake symbol area over a poor person. <laughs> One night, Parsons evoked twice. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever prematurely evoked? <laughs> oh, oh, God. All right, we'll try it tomorrow. Hey, I'll be able to uh, evoke again in about 10 to 15 that was, minutes. So. That was my bad. I was thinking about my wife's sister. Listen, I, I, I'll i be able to evoke soon. That evoke was for me. You're going to evoke real big soon, baby. <laughs> Uh, Parsons evoked twice and retired to bed <laughs> around 11 p.m. Evoked. He was awoke, awoken at midnight by nine loud, unexplainable knocks. When Parsons got out of bed to investigate the knocks, he noticed a lamp lay smashed on the floor. Time to evoke. Ghost. <laughs> yeah, ghost. Lamps don't fall. Hubbard, Elron. And Jack began to go out to the Mojave Desert together. Oh, boy. This now, is a real... This is a lot happening. Where Jack used to do rocket experiments, but now to practice magic and have visions. <laughs> I used to shoot off rockets here, but instead I'm going to jerk off and see weird things. <laughs> that things are really this taking place off. has seen me through a lot of weird times, things man. Are, things are really taking off for me now. Things are taking off like a rocket. Hey, where are those magic symbols at? I'm going to evoke into them. I used to be part of a company that made 650000 a year. Now I'm jacking off in Joshua Tree. I'm going to evoculate. <clears throat> Parson wrote... <laughs> Parson wrote that Hubbard had a vision that evening of a savage and beautiful woman riding naked on a great cat-like beast. They're dreams. We prepared magic. <laughs> Those are called dreams. They're pretty weird sometimes. We prepared magically for this communication, constructing a temple at the altar. He was robed in white, carrying a lamp, and I in black hooded with the cup and dagger. <laughs> I mean, you're what? camping. In the, what? Hey, a lot of leaps of faith here. <laughs> A lot of, I mean, we're nine poor decisions who deep. Who doesn't look at the other guy, guy and go, what are we doing? It would just be like, why are we different at least? Like, why is it like, why are we opposites? What are we doing? You evoked on me. Oh, fuck. February 23rd, 1946. Parsons triumphantly wrote to Crowley. I have my elemental. 
She turned up one night after the conclusion of the magic and has since been with me. <clears throat> Although she does go back to New York next week. <laughs> Most she- elementals will. <laughs> Most of the women that I conjure by masturbating into the air. A lot of elementals uh, are by coast. They will eventually go back to They the go East to coast. New York. Yeah, exactly. A lot of them are East Coast elementals. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my spirits uh, like to spend fall in the East they, Coast. They, they, weather <laughs> really the affects weather. elemental travel. <sighs> she has red hair and slant green eyes, as specified. She's an artist, strong-minded and determined, with strong masculine characteristics Good. and a fanatical independence. I am alone! What's a fanatical independence? <laughs> yeah, it might just be a transvestite. If she returns, she will be dedicated as I am dedicated. The elemental was actually a woman named Marjorie Elizabeth Cameron, also known as Candy. Sweet. Three names. They immediately started performing sex, sex magic rituals together. <laughs> Ooh la la. Jack wrote to Crowley, I am to invoke continually <sighs> this now being possible and easy. <laughs> it's so much better with a girl. <laughs> you know. That's, that's what he's writing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's so much better with a girl. I can evoke so much more when I'm not m- evoking <laughs> into a imaginary area of symbols. Alistair, have you ever used a pussy? <laughs> I found magic. This is incredible. I mean, this is just somebody who hasn't fucked in too long. According to Candy Cameron, the rite consisted of her and Parsons spending two weeks in bed where the two talked incessantly and fucked. On February 20th, 1946, in between the two parts of the Babylon magical rites, (laughs) Parsons, Hubbard, and Betty formed a company called Allied Enterprises. (laughs) <laughs> to Hubbard's $1,183.91 and Betty's absolutely nothing. Oh, sweet. Parsons Combined. put in $20,970.80. Jesus. In this enterprise, they were to buy boats on the East Coast and sail them back to California for resale. <laughs> like, what is that even? Why would is- boats be worth more money on the West Coast? I mean, that, so that's just not even a thing. That's. That's like buying a car in New York and driving it out and going, we're going to make a fortune in California. It's just a boat. It doesn't get it – doesn't, it doesn't increase the value because no. you take it somewhere uh, else. I just didn't know if maybe the boats had birds on them or something like that and they were just more valuable. But no, points well received. In April 1946, after the second part of the Babylon magic rituals, Ron left with Betty and 10000 of the company's money. Later that month, Jack started to think that they had cheated him. <laughs> well, later that month? Did you misread Day? Uh, he threatened to chase them, but a call to Hubbard. What about this is not good for Jack? He just took ten grand and his wife. <laughs> or his priestess. A call to Hubbard soon calmed Jack down. Astrologer Lewis Culling overheard the call and couldn't believe... The formerly angry Parsons could be so easily swayed. Parsons ended the call with, I hope we shall always be partners, Ron. Oh, my God. <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard must have been a real yeah. smooth fucking talker. Yeah, for sure. By June, Jack could no longer wait and went to Florida after Hubbard and Betty, discovering that they had purchased three boats. He found two of the boats, but not Ron and Betty. One, after, one the harpoon, was anchored at Howard's Bond Yacht Harbor. Jack then rented a room and waited. Two days later, someone from Bonds Harbor called Parsons to say that the harpoon had just sailed. 
He was too late to catch them, so he returned to his room and consecrated a circle. <laughs> I will as take, one as one does taking when taking care of this. All right. Well, you know what to do. Time to consecrate. <laughs> Dig your heels in and consecrate. Uh, jerk off in this hotel room in a circle. Uh, get the maiden here. I've evoked on the towels. Parsons wrote to Crowley. Here I am in Miami pursuing the children of my folly. Hubbard attempted to escape me by sailing at 5 p.m. and I performed a, f- I performed a full invocation to Bartzabel, <laughs> uh, the god of war, within the circle at 8 p.m. At the time, so far as I can check, his ship is, <clears throat> was struck by a sudden squall off the coast, which ripped off his sails and forced him to come back to port where I took the boat in custody. I have them well tied up. They cannot move without going to jail. However, I am afraid that most of the money has already been dissipated. I will be lucky to salvage three to $5,000. In the interim, I am flat broke. Okay, so this is the craziest letter ever written. Um, dear Crowley. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck. I made a lot of mistakes, so... I'm in Miami. <laughs> Which is nice. I made a circle, which caused a storm. Jerked off, made a storm. Jerked off a boat, boat, made a storm into the circle. And now so I... Wh- so none of that's true. Well, yeah, it is. In he, court, he really got, like... Well, I mean, obviously he didn't invoke... Well, he didn't invoke the fucking... Yeah, but he had them tied up. Hubbard's just a shitty sailor. If you go back and read, which I've done, because I was going to do a podcast on it... Um, Read Hubbard as a ship captain in the Navy. It's fucking extraordinary. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Um, the following week, Allied Enterprises was dissolved. The court ordering Hubbard to pay Parsons 2900 and no charges would be pressed. Betty threatened to press charges against Jack since the relationship started when she was younger than 18. Mm, fair. Oh, fair, by Betty. the way. Fair, Betty. On August 10th, 1946, Hubbard married Betty who now went by Sarah. Hey, you know I mean, what? At this point, <laughs> what, what are names? What are names? In an ordinary story, that would be weird. Yeah, but unfortunately, at this point, name switching is fine. Hubbard was still married to Polly, his first wife. Polly, who we're now calling Samantha. Jesus Christ. We got the Hubbard this. Dianetic Research Foundation was established four years later. Hubbard's, Hubbard's companion book, Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health, published in May. <clears throat> Scientology began. The Church of Scientology acknowledged Hubbard's involvement with the Parsonage. A 1969 statement written by Hubbard himself said, Hubbard broke up black magic in America. L. Ron Hubbard was, was still an officer of the U.S. Navy because he was well known as a writer and a philosopher and had friends amongst the physicists. He was sent in to handle the situation. He went to live at the house and investigated the black magic rites and the general situation and found them very bad. Hubbard's mission was successful far beyond anyone's expectations. The house was torn down. Hubbard rescued a girl they were using. The black magic group was dispersed and destroyed and has never been recovered. Hubbard! He's in the new... uh, He's in the new Marvel world, by the way. L. Ron Hubbard is? Yeah, he's going to be one of the superheroes. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just have a moment to deal with what's just happened before you tell me that L. Ron Hubbard is? He's in the Avengers. (laughs) What? 
Elmer Hubbard's The Avengers. <laughs> what the fuck? No, everything's so crazy that you believe that it's not true. Oh god, Elrond Hubbard is not in the Avengers. Okay, but what if he was? Well, I had a. I thought. It, well, I didn't think it was Elrond <clears throat> Hubbard. I thought it was going to be like some. You know, like how they did Battlefield Earth, where oh, it was gotcha. about Scientology, so it was going to be sort of Great subversive. Movie. Really big shoes. I'll tell you what, a fantastic movie. <laughs> no joke. <clears throat> On August 20th, 1946, Jack sent a formal letter of resignation from the OTO to Crowley. He sold his house and handed over leadership of the Agape Lodge. He's out. Me too. He had, he stayed employed working for Northern American Aviation Corp and doing consulting work such as for the LAPD, LA District Attorney, General Chemistry Company, and the National Defense Research Council. Christ. 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 <laughs> Disillusioned by the incident with Hubbard and Betty, Parsons drifted away from magic and focused his will on his technical career, although the two aspects of his life could never be completely separated. On May 17, 1948, his two worlds collided as he lost his government security clearance because of his membership in a religious cult believed to advocate sexual perversion organized at the subject's home, which had been reported subversive. Elsewhere, the FBI described it as a mythical love cult, despite Jack's assistance that it was dedicated to the freedom and liberty of the individual. Mm-hmm. Sure, Jack. According to Parsons' FBI file, however, the investigation was actually caused by his association with known communists. <laughs> Jesus. <A> b- <laughs> Who is not involved in this? A problem shared by his JPL comrade, Frank Molina. As early as 1938, the self-described anti-war, anti-capitalist Parsons had subscribed to the Daily People's World, the communist paper, oh, and had attended a few meetings of different groups during the subsequent years, joining the subversive American Civil Liberties Union in 1946, one of the early victims of what would become the McCarthy witch hunts, Parsons later testified in closed court that his interest was merely an intellectual one. He told him that Thelema, the will aspect of Crowley's work, was defined definitely anti-communist and anti-fascist, and his clearance was finally reinstated. Oh, my God. <laughs> March 7, 1949. But he lost his job, and Candy Cameron left him. I don't feel bad. Jack made money fixing cars, pumping gas, and as a hospital assistant. That's what he should have started that's with. That's what the guy who doesn't have a college education yeah, should have been doing. that's what you start with. He embarked on a you series... You don't take nitrate. He embarked on a series of magical rituals. Oh, boy. Hiring prostitutes. That's not a magical ritual. <laughs> This is a magical ritual. I'm going to buy meth and fuck whores. Ooh. And having passing affairs to work the sex magic rites with. His new magical endeavor was called the crossing of the abyss. It's aimed to transform him into a master of the temple and become one with the universal consciousness. By fucking prostitutes. Since he did not have his security clearance reinstated, he went to work in 1949 for Hughes Aircraft Company. So now Hughes is involved. As long as he's back. On chemical plant design and construction, this calmed his magical frenzy. (laughs) Sure. Jack started to hand over several reports from the company to Israeli power brokers interested in arming the fledgling state of Israel. (laughs) 
all good. It's now all working, good. Now he's working for Israel. It's all. Hey, listen. <laughs> this guy's like the evil Forrest Gump. <laughs> I'm going to do everything that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, he's doing. He's everywhere. Um, and the Israelis were to help him leave the U.S. so he could make rockets for Israel, which led to him being investigated again Jesus. by the FBI. Yeah. What? Are, can he just chill the fuck out? <laughs> Take a day. He was fired from Hughes Aircraft in 1950, and Candy came back to him from Mexico, where she was living in an artist community. He set up his home laboratory in the coach house they rented. He went back to working in powder companies and had his security clearance revoked forever in January 1952. <laughs> Just to be clear, permanent. He and Kenny made plans to return to Mexico together. Jack had a temporary job developing and manufacturing pyrotechnics for movies and received a call June 17, 1952 for a rush order from the Special Effects Corporation one day before they were to leave for Mexico. After working in his home lab all day at 5.08 p.m., an explosion threw a cast iron tub onto Jack Parsons, 37 years old, who died from inju- his injuries an hour later. He was 37? He did all that, and he was only 37. I mean, I'm expect uh, What I'm picturing... Adam, I- right? Dude, you're picturing a guy in his late 60s at this point. This dude did some fucking living. 37. Because he knew. He evoked with L. Ron Hubbard. He knew how to go for it. This I whole think, this whole story should be called go, Going I, For It with no, Jack no, no, Parsons. No, 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 no. I think now. That's the name of the movie. Now we're, going For It. Now we're finding a place where we don't agree. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's a fucking... I'm going to pitch this to AMC, going for it, the Jack Parsons story. I think you could probably give it a different title and sell it. His mother, Ruth, staying in a friend's house nearby, hysterically screamed, I'm going to kill myself, I can't stand this, upon hearing of her son's death. Miss Helen Rowan, a friend also staying at the house, was chair-bound with arthritis and called the doctor to send a prescription of Nembutal, a barbiturate. Another friend arrived with the pills, gave two to Ruth to calm her down, and then went into the kitchen to make food. Ruth grabbed the pills, swallowed them all, while Miss Rowan, with the arthritis, just looked on in horror. Ruth Parsons was declared dead at 9.05 p.m., four hours after her son. Ruth Parsons' big dog made it difficult for police to attend her suicide scene after being attacked by the the agitated beast, Pasadena police officers shot the dog in the head. This is a real feel-good ending. Don Harding, an investigator at the scene, tripped and hit his head and died. <laughs> Exploded <laughs> in while masturbating. That's how it always ends. Don Harding discovered a syringe among the blast debris partially filled with a morphine-like substance and believed that Parsons' drug use contributed to his mishandling of explosives. So now he got into heroin. After all that, he got into heroin. And that's not even something we learned on the way. It's just like after the fact, like he was a junkin'. Childhood friend Ed Froman said, Jack used to sweat a lot and the damn thing just slipped out of his hand and blew him up. Damn thing. Heroin and grease will really do that to you. Something was allegedly found after the death of Parsons that didn't make the 1952 Los Angeles Times. Uh, Dave, can I just say right now? I'm going to show it to you. See? Oh, shit. It's a picture. What? It's okay. a black box. 
Yeah, a big got markings all over it. Yeah. <clears throat> Amateur rocket advocate Harold Chambers was told on separate occasions by both Harding and uh, a chemical engineer friend of Jack's from work that an odd, bizarre, fairly big box decorated with snakes and dragons was found in a trailer at the Parsons residence. Uh, the odd wait. box was found to contain home movies of Parsons and his mother Ruth having sex. Oh, my God. Not only with each other, but also with Ruth's big dog. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. What the fuck? What? You know, you know you got a story when page six is he fucked his mom. Holy shit. It's all totally normal. Occultist site well, parsons. Well, hold on. <laughs> hold the phone. Okay, so she here's what she, videotaping dog she, fucking. She, yeah, what you, if you're gonna do it? Can't do cap, it in privacy. Capture the memories. Oh my god, that was one of the Polaroid video commercials. I that, think you're thinking of something else. No, it was like if you're fucking your dog. There we the go. Memories. We're already. I already don't agree. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. Okay. Polaroid. Hit me with it. No. <laughs> no. 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 Just give the dog a bowl of nitrate. Occultist Site Parsons is one of the most significant figures in propagating Thelema across North America. Mm. Scientific historians recognize his contributions to rocket propulsion chemistry and design and his advocacy, advocacy for their use in space exploration and human spaceflight. For the latter reasons, and because of his role in the foundation of JPL, Parsons is regarded as among the most important figures in the history of the U.S. space program. And he's also one of the most important figures in dogfucking. I would say he's maybe our best rocket scientist who dogfucked. He's my favorite of all the... There's not a lot of crossover. Of all the rocket guys, he's my favorite dogfucker. He flew the red rocket for the first time. How do you feel right now? Oh, just, uh, you know, not good. Sick? A little sick? Do um, you remember when Ali went to Africa and fought Frazier? Yeah, the... Uh, and he just, the rope-a-dope, and he just beat him against the ropes for a few rounds? Is yeah. That, is that how you feel? Uh, uh, yeah, but I feel like I don't have the second part where I fight back. Right. And I'm, I'm you know, winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have that part of it. But so I did the rope-a-dope, but I just did the rope. I got sent this story by so many people, and when someone... I don't even know what to. I mean, well, at first I was like, "That is a this crazy, seems fake." Yeah, it seems fake, and then I, and then, and so what happened was I looked it up again, and I was like, "It just seems too crazy. I can't even believe it was true." And then I had there so a researcher, someone who's in in college, whose job is to do this sort of thing, sent me an email and says, "Is there anything you want me to research?" And I said, "Okay, this is the one." Because I don't know what the fuck is happening, so this was this is wasn't just research, but the person who sent me this sent all of the footnotes, and everything is factually checked. Ay ay ay. Who is this? 
Except the dog fucking, person. which I found this morning. You've just found dog fucking this morning? Yeah, I was I was reading another article about it, and and then the dog. He fucking. made a crazy black box with videotapes of him fucking his mom and a dog. Well, that what else do you put in a crazy black box? Uh, That's God. almost what crazy black boxes are for. It puts the crazy in black box. <laughs> I'll admit that. And now anybody who put who makes a crazy black box has to top that. And guess what? There should be no more black boxes. I disagree. I think there should always be one crazy black box. I don't think it can be topped. <laughs> it can be topped. Yeah, you know what? Couple already, of guys, your wheels are already turning over there. A couple of guys fucking a bear. <laughs> hey, you seen our videotape of when we uh, <laughs> fucked that bear? Pretty graphic. My uncle was there. I fucked him, too. <laughs> My grandpa was jerking off. It was awesome. So if you want to take a tour of... Uh, of a uh, JPL, it's it's just uh, like ten pass. miles away. It's ten Pagan miles pass. away. It's where they do Pagan all the pass. NASA shit. Probably gonna pass. The probably passing. The robot not going. The robot that was designed that's now on rover. That's whatever it is. The one yeah. that's on Mars. Just designed there. Well, I JPL. Good. My Good. landlord works at JPL. It might be time to move. Guy down the street works at JPL. It might be time to not talk to him. I'm about telling it. you. So, uh, in conclusion, I'm I'm going to perform perform a black magic ritual. Uh, listen, I uh, <laughs> just make the circle big for your evoking area. Um, I just want to apologize to everyone for this yeah, podcast, and I and I do too, <laughs> and I do too. <laughs> Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.